Is democracy a good thing? What about immigration? What about small government? These are things that you might, as a conservative, think you already have the answer to, but our guest today, Oren McIntyre, is going to make us think a little bit more deeply about them. We will also be talking about the Twitter files and Brittany Griner and why he thinks that at the end of the day, a lot of people in power simply want to prey upon children. We have a very fascinating conversation for you today. I learned a lot. I think that you will too. Also, before we get into it, let me just say today, today, Monday is the last day to order a merch to guarantee it by the 24th. So Relata Bros, if you are buying Relatable merch for the Relatable in your life, and you want to make sure that she has it on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, you need to order today. Now, if you don't care when it gets here, you can continue to order it anytime you want to. But if you want it here on time by Christmas, make sure that you order it today. Go to shopblazemedia.com slash Allie. You can use code Allie20 at checkout. Make sure you do that. Save 20% when you do. Um, Great gift. And also, you'll probably get it before then anyway. You'll probably get it before Christmas Eve. So you still have time to purchase some of the Christmas merch. But we have lots of non-Christmas merch there too that I know that all of you, the relatable fan friends in your life, family members, all of that will absolutely love. So make sure you check it out. We'll link it in the description of this episode. Also, if you love this podcast, please leave us a five-star review wherever you listen in and subscribe on YouTube if you haven't done that already. All right, I won't make you wait for this absolutely mind-blowing conversation any longer. Uh, this episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. So go to goodranchers.com slash Allie. That's goodranchers.com slash Allie. Now, here is our new friend, Oren McIntyre. Oren, thanks so much for joining. Can you tell everyone who you are and what you do, those who might not know? Oh, absolutely. No, thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Oren McIntyre. I just got added to The Blaze. I'm going to be writing articles for the website and doing a podcast show and everything like that. You know, a couple of years ago with everything that was happening with COVID, I really started asking myself what was going on with politics, why the Constitution and different things that were supposed to protect my rights weren't working. And so the more I wanted to learn about it, I wanted to kind of tell people about it as I was looking into it, reading different thinkers, that kind of thing. And I started making a YouTube channel about it, started a Twitter account. Things kind of built up from there. And here I am. Okay, so that's how you got involved in political commentating it was just a couple years ago during covid yeah i mean i had you know studied politics in college and i worked in politics for a little bit and i was a local political journalist i covered crime and politics for a local newspaper so i'd been around the subject for a long time but when i saw everything that was happening with the covid lockdowns you know i just had that very standard talk radio republican mentality you know the constitution is going to protect my rights you know the, the government's got checks and balances all this stuff is you know kind of set in stone for me you know and then see everything that's going on i said okay none of this works the way i was taught and so Okay, so you do you consider yourself or did you consider yourself then a conservative? Is that how you would have described yourself? Yeah, absolutely. It would have been just a standard issue conservative, you know, listening to Rush, listening to Dennis Prager, listening to all these people that I think a lot of 
people grew, grew up listening to if they're kind of Republican. Yeah. And then, like I said, the more I learned about it, the more I said, okay, we're, we're not really conserving things anymore. We've, we've kind of lost a lot of the stuff and we need to look in a different direction because we really need to reestablish in many ways a lot of these principles that are no longer kind of governing our society. I did not know that as recently as a couple of years ago, you kind of described yourself as just a kind of typical Rush Limbaugh conservative Republican, because that's not how I would describe you today. Is that how you would describe yourself? Yeah, no, today it definitely would not be the case. Like you said, now that I've kind of better understood and looked into the nature of politics, political power, exploring political theory, applying it to what we see now, I don't think that kind of that model works. I still have many of those values, of course, right? The question is not, you know, I still think that it's very important for America to have, you know, a Christian background in its laws and in its culture. I think it's very important for us to maybe look at things, though, that conservatives would normally think of if we are serious about having a family culture, about caring for children, passing yeah. things on to the next generation, maybe we need to take steps that wouldn't be thought of as traditionally small government conservative to kind of support those things. So I think orienting ourselves on where we want to be and where we want our culture to be will bring us to maybe different conclusions than kind of the standard issue conservative talking points that we've kind of had over the years. Yeah. And I do want to get into some of this news, the Twitter files, Brittany Griner and things like that. But I do want to dig deeper into this. And I think this is why I kind of started following you, because you talk differently, I would say, than most conservatives do, um, using power in a way that I think conservatives are traditionally uncomfortable with. All of the power that is available to you to kind of enact the policies that bring on the ends that you want. Can you give me some examples of that? Like, what do you mean by steps that conservatives should take that historically we haven't been willing to? Well, conservatism has generally been the party of small government in theory, at yeah. least, right? Like, that's what we always hear. You have to, you, you shouldn't pursue power. You want to shrink the size of the government. You don't want to wield that because at some point it's going to be wielded against you. These are kind of the constant things we're told that are going to keep the government in check and keep it from kind of infringing on our rights. But I think what we can see time and time again is as conservatives with kind of this quasi-libertarian backing, you know, have this, uh, this approach to power, the left's steps into that void, right? And they're constantly advancing their agenda. And then when Republicans enter power, they're at best kind of freezing the agenda in place until liberals step back in and start you know, moving the ratchet that direction one more time. Mm -hmm. And so I think one thing that conservatives really have to understand is you, there's always going to be an authority. There's always going to be a government. And if you do not take active steps to make sure that your values are the ones governing the decisions being made in that government, then someone else's values will fill that void. And I think a lot of people recognize that now, right? The idea that wokeness is religion has really kind of grabbed a lot of people because it's got a lot of explanatory power. It shows us that that void that is left when sort of kind of a Christian values are removed from the marketplace something fills it doesn't we don't just get this neutral marketplace of ideas right. right i noticed that especially a lot of christians kind of buy into the emotional manipulation that they hear on the left that you know it's okay for you to believe what you believe but just don't bring it into the public square don't allow it to influence how you teach or how you vote or if you are in any position of power how you legislate but they don't treat their 
own worldview that way. It's only Christian conservatives who have to check their worldview at the door before we engage publicly, before we sell a cake or, you know, design a website. Um, And I've seen a lot of Christians kind of buy into that, that they have started to kind of separate their values or maybe just conservatives, separate their moral values from how they vote or how they think about policy, which is why I think you've got Republicans that may even say that they are for traditional marriage voting for the so-called Respect for Marriage Act. Why do you think that tactic has kind of been so successful on people on the right? The manipulation to say you and you alone have to separate your moral worldview from how you engage publicly. As you just said, the left doesn't do that at all. They allow their pseudo-religion to infiltrate everything that they do. Well, I think it's because in many ways, progressivism is kind of a super predator uh, religion when it comes to kind of our classically liberal society. So one of the things that we're inculcated with is this idea of separation of church and state, right? And there's a value of telling the state that they can't tell the church what to teach and we don't want church officials to be directly and you know governing us yeah. perhaps yeah but we have expounded that to and perverted it to a level saying that no religious morals no religious ideas no religious values can in any way inform your political positions and then what we do is we say but christianity is you know or judaism or islam or whatever is a religion But progressivism is not. And so because progressivism isn't, it has a competitive advantage in the marketplace because you can't teach Christianity in the school, but you can teach progressivism because it doesn't trigger the separation of church and state issue, right? And so progressivism is always able to be pushed in a school. It's be able to push in your workplace. It's able to be pushed through different government agencies and policies because technically it's not a religion and your values are. And so I think a lot of Christians want to have this fair play mentality, right? Like, well, we all agree to this and I understand this is how the system operates. And so I'm, you know, I'll still be a good Christian at home, but I don't want to enforce, I don't want to, you know, I want people to be one through good arguments or love or, you know, going, you know, hearing good sermon or reading the Bible. I don't want them to be forced by the government, which again is perfectly reasonable, but we don't, that's not the same thing as having your values in, or inform your political positions. Because again, the government will make decisions. They will enforce policies. And if it's not your values informing the way that they do that, it's going to be something else. And we know exactly what it is now. It's yeah. this progressivism that is, you know, seeped into everything. Yeah. And where do you think the line is between Christians allowing their worldview to influence how we vote, what kind of laws we like, things like that, and some kind of theocratic rule. Because I do want my worldview, my view about marriage, my view about kids, my view about when life begins, all of these things I think have a lot of practical benefit too. But for me, they're rooted in my faith. I do want those things to influence policy. But I don't want all of my values to influence policy. I don't want a law to force people to go to church or to force people to read the Bible. So where do you think kind of the line is on that? Obviously, I don't want all of ancient Israel's laws to be enacted in America today. Well, I think all politics is ultimately theological in nature. Yes, totally agree. And so that means that there's really no way to separate your values from what they inform. But what I do think 
there can be as a limitation is respect for social spheres, right? So the government, there are certain things that it should talk about, certain things, policies, things that it will set, right? But there should also be places where the government doesn't invade. The government shouldn't tell my church what it's preaching. And the government shouldn't tell parents that they have to raise their children to, you know, have puberty blockers or something like that, right? Like there should be limits to the government's ability to step into different social spheres and they should be respected by the government. So I don't think you can, you can really draw a limit between where your faith is going to morally inform the government. But I think you can have a practical understanding of, you know, it used to be that these things were kind of natural because the government didn't have the power necessary to do this stuff, mm -hmm. right? When the government, when you didn't have the level of complicated and vast bureaucracy that allowed people to reach into every aspect of your life, the government could only make so many decisions yeah. in those spheres. But today, with the power of, you know, things like social media, the ability to just blast things through propaganda, through things like television, internet, you know, news sources, media, all this kind of thing, and the level of infiltration that the government has through, say, corporations in HR departments or schools, because of all that stuff, the government has the ability and the infrastructure to reach in. And once it has that ability, it will, right? Mm, yeah. Um, so now that the government has that ability, what are some ways that you think that Republicans should use that ability to shift things for the better? Well, and that's the really difficult question is, right, can the Leviathan be turned to good, right? And yeah. this, this is a very difficult question to answer because I think in some ways the answer is yes, you can inform your decisions in a way that is pro-family, that is, you know, that, that uh, communicates Christian values, that carries those forward. There are decisions you can make to change that. You don't have to allow children to be taught certain certain things in school you don't have you don't have to treat these things as equally valuable ideas because they aren't but at the same time there is a certain level of danger again in letting the government seek that power constantly right because again you i, I don't want to say that limited government is the answer in the sense that like you should never use the power of government to you know to further your values but i do think there's a certain amount of healthy localism and a respect for the standards and the culture and the tradition of communities that needs to come back into place right so that this isn't constantly a battle where whoever holds the control over the central apparatus immediately gets to shove their worldview down and there's just this basically like cold civil war over who constantly. controls this mind control device that just rules over everybody in the country, right? Like that infrastructure is very dangerous in a way, but we also at the same time have to have a realistic, realistic understanding of that it is going to be there for the moment. And while it is, you can't just ignore it and say, well, we won't use it and the other team's allowed to use it because yeah. we're principled. All right, quick pause from that conversation to tell you about our first sponsor for the day. It's a sponsor that I love so much, and that is Carly Jean Los Angeles. They are an L.A.-based capsule clothing company. They make really simple and beautiful quality clothes for women. They're really great for any season of life that you're in, any season of the year that you're in. I mean, these are the kinds of just simple basics that you can wear in all different kinds for all different kinds of occasions. You can wear them when you're pregnant, when you're postpartum, when you're neither, all that good stuff. I just feel really good in Carly Jean Los Angeles clothes. I especially love their jeans. Their jeans 
fit so well. They're so flattering. It's really hard to find good jeans that you love, especially those that are affordable. I get all my jeans from Carly Jean Los Angeles. Also, their basics line, all made in the U.S. That's really important to me. And most importantly, the company is owned by Carly Jean, who is a Christian and pro-life and shares the values that we do. So it's just a great place to spend your money. You can get yourself or someone else a Christmas present from Carly Jean Los Angeles. I guarantee they will love it or maybe a gift card or something like that. Go to CarlyJeanLosAngeles.com. Use promo code AllieB for 20% off, excluding final sale items. That's CarlyJeanLosAngeles.com. Use promo code AllieB, CarlyJeanLosAngeles.com. And it's not even really a battle between small government and big government right now. It is, as you said, theoretically, as Republicans have said, oh, we want small government, but they're not actually fighting that battle. Republicans aren't necessarily voting for small government, but not in a good way, not in the way that you're talking about, using the power that's available to them to enact good. What I mean by that is that they are voting for things that typically the left likes too, like Mm -hmm. sending billions of dollars to Ukraine and things like that. And so- like libertarians can talk all they want to. No, 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 no. Like we can't use power. It's small government versus big government. But who do we really have on our side who is fighting really for totally small or limited government? It's not even happening. So as you said, while the power is there, while this is the system that we have, we should use the system to enact good things, right? Because you have talked about, I've seen you tweet However things change, if things ever change for the better, it's going to have to be top down, not ground up. Do you still believe that? Yeah. So I I think what a lot of people have difficulty with is we want, because kind of in America, we have the idea of popular sovereignty and the people are going to inform what the government's going to do and and how it's going to change things. We kind of have this idea of this populist mindset that we're going to change like enough people. And once we just, you know, tip the scales a little bit with popular opinion, then everything's going to kind of the dominoes will fall and everything will go back to the 1990s or the 1950s or kind of whatever period you want to look at. Mm -hmm. But what we need to understand is that every society, even one that kind of that has this democratic aspect is always run by elites and elites are always going to shape your culture and therefore they are going to shape your voting patterns. This is this is guided popular sovereignty. People on the left, like uh, Walter Lippmann, were talking about the importance of it back in 1922. So this is not some new idea. This is something that since the beginning of mass communication has been understood as a valuable tool for politicians to kind of manipulate public opinion. And so that's why, for instance, the capture of something like Twitter by Elon Musk is so important because the left has been used to having this hegemonic control over kind of our consensus manufacturing apparatus in the United States. And the loss of kind of one of those key nodes of that network that kind of guides popular opinion is really devastating for them. You can, and, and, and Twitter isn't that big compared to other social media platforms, but what it, you know, loses in size it makes up for an influence it's where all the narrative crafters are plugged in it's the dopamine delivery system for your af- your average left-wing blue check journalist mm-hmm. and so the fact that they no longer have complete domination of the narrative forming in that space means that they lose the ability to constantly push that story down on the average person right. the people that they were planning on always being able to guide to the correct conclusion yeah let me pause and explain a little bit about the twitter file because I haven't talked about it very much on my show. And so for those who don't know, the Twitter files, they're basically a series of 
tweets, tweet threads by different journalists that I guess were tapped by Elon Musk to reveal what has been going on behind the scenes at Twitter, especially for the past few years. They're very long Twitter threads. So like a TLDR was basically that Taibi, which was one of the journalists, um, that he basically revealed that the government and Twitter were kind of colluding to decide which tweets were they were going to suppress, especially surrounding the 2020 election and COVID. Um, there was a lot of interaction between the FBI and the DOJ and Twitter. Barry Weiss was also one of these journalists. And then you've also got Michael Schellenberger, another one of these journalists, who basically just revealed that the people behind the scenes at Twitter were working with mostly, not entirely, but mostly the, the Democrat party to suppress information that they didn't like that they called dangerous or called misinformation or called um, inciting violence or something like that. And they also revealed that what they call is, um, I think it's a visibility filtering is how they refer to it. What we typically talk about as shadow banning is something that is going on behind the scenes, even though they have denied it many times over the years. Jack himself said, oh no, we have never shadow banned someone, especially not based on political ideology, but they are. They uh, prevent people from being able to show up on the trending tab. They uh, suppress the circulation of a tweet. And these are typically, from what we've seen, conservative accounts, Republican accounts, or simply not left wing accounts that are getting slapped with this kind of censorship. And then, as you said, the average blue check journalist is saying, oh, my goodness, these other journalists are doing PR for the richest white nationalist or whatever um, in the world. This is so terrible. Or they'll say, you know, this is a nothing burger. Who cares? This is no big deal. But you talked about turning the Leviathan around by using the tools available to do that. This, to me, seems like a perfect example of doing that, using the tools and the power that he has to kind of reveal something really big and really bad. Yeah, and that's the thing that is really striking about Elon Musk and this interaction, right? As conservatives, we've been told it's it's about winning elections, right? It's about you, know, you got to get the Congress and the Senate and you, know, you, you just get that one more Supreme Court justice and then finally everything will turn around. And I think a lot of people are frustrated because they realize that, you know, you had, you know, Trump and you had control of the entire legislative process and you had, you know, victories in the Supreme Court and you don't have a whole lot to show for it. Right. But what we're learning is that power isn't necessarily just in the formal arms of the government. Right. We understand that the formal arms of the government interact with places like Twitter and collude to guide them in a particular direction, to use the power of that media apparatus to, again, change the way that people literally view the world. And if you have a system where popular sovereignty is the guide, controlling what people think and see is the key to control to staying in power. And so what Elon Musk has done has really, again, broken that monopoly wide open and allowed people to see something that I think most people, if you've, if you've ever interacted with Twitter and you've had a decent sized account, you can feel 
when those bands are on. You can see that interaction plummet. You you yeah. can totally understand throwing. So a lot of people knew this was happening, but we had these constant denials. And they said this, I, I believe, under, I, I don't want to misspeak, but I believe like Jack Dorsey said this specifically to Congress. We do not shadow ban. You know, <laughs> they, they, and Vijay Gotti, like one, one of the heads over at Twitter as well, repeatedly told people, met with different people. I believe like Charlie Kirk said he met with them yeah. and was told point blank, we do not shadow ban. And now we have the smoking gun. We we have the evidence for, you know, Elon Musk has divulged all these documents, all these screenshots, all these things showing the tags, showing the process, showing what happens here. And we can see very clearly that there's an intentional effort on a regular basis to completely shape the narrative, to ban certain accounts, to throttle certain accounts, to boost certain accounts, to remove things on behalf of political parties, to interact with the federal government and decide what can and cannot be disseminated. And that, again, it's it's something that I think most people who are paying attention suspected, yeah. but having those cold, hard facts, having that, right. you know, those receipts is really essential. And just so people know, we're not talking about accounts that are going out there and saying, you know, I'm going to shoot up this building or like, you know, exposing people's addresses. Actually, sometimes in those cases, people who were doxing or harassing people, as long as they were on the left, were actually not getting banned or shadow banned at all. We are talking about people who are saying things that were factually true or at least they were, you know, their own opinion, a completely valid opinion. They were getting shadow banned or they were getting taken off Twitter entirely. One of the examples that was given, I think, by Barry Weiss was Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. Mm -hmm. He is a Stanford epidemiologist. He's been on this podcast before who raised a question about the effectiveness and the ethics of lockdowns in the beginning. And so he was one of the people who was being public or punished. And so we're not talking about, and obviously it would still be problematic in a sense if it if we were, but we're not talking about these like kooky out there accounts that are going out there and actually trying to get people to inflict violence or something like that. We are talking about totally legitimate takes and legitimate opinions or legitimate facts that were being suppressed. And of course, humor, the Babylon Bee is a part of this who joked about Rachel Levine being a man, which is not even really a joke. It's just true. Yeah, it's and just again, true. they got taken down for that. And we found out that President Trump, he was actually being suppressed and shadow banned in a way even before his 2020 election. And so if that's not like election interference and anti-democracy, the very thing that the left always says that they are trying to defend, I don't know what is. But as you often say, it's not really hypocrisy. It's just hierarchy, right? Yeah, these people believe and you can see this from the journalists who are defending what's happening here. And and let's just stop for a moment and talk about how wild that is, right? That journalists like they are supposed to be there to uncover the facts. They're supposed to be there to hold the powerful accountable, right? This is all we hear is what we see in movies. This is how these people are portrayed, the you know, the 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 the, the press and their heroic actions yeah. to control power. I and love journalist <laughs> movies, but they're not like that in real life. Not at all, right? We turns out these people are complete hacks who are willing yeah. to follow power wherever Has it, it always goes. been like that uh yes yes uh yeah we can get into that if you want to <laughs> but but yeah there there was never this golden age of journalism that people like to mm. think about like that's a hollywood creation you learn about yellow journalism in the spanish-american war in high yeah. school right yeah. and then everyone yeah. just acts like that just kind of disappeared it just solved itself how much hmm. some magical wand was waved over the press and they turned into yeah. valorous defenders of freedom right but these people are are berating you know, Elon Musk for revealing basic facts. Oh, you gave 
access to information to journalists so they could do a story. You must be a white nationalist, right? Like yeah. th this is the refrain we're seeing from these people. They hate having this stuff exposed. And you can see how blatant that bias was. I mean, you look at someone like Libs of TikTok, right? That account specifically, they say multiple times in the uh, Twitter files, they say, okay, it doesn't, it doesn't really violate the rules, but we're going to change the rules to say it does. Yeah. And they do that several times over and over again. And then you, like you said, when the information doxing the owner of that account is made present and it's reported, they reject it and say, oh, that we don't see this as a violation of our rules. Yeah. So you see direct cases where they say, we're going to completely ignore direct violations of our rules because we don't like your politics. And we are going to ban you entirely, even though you clearly did not violate our policies, because, again, we just we, you're, not, you're not even making commentary. You're simply yeah. showing what people are saying. Right. But we're going to interpret that as hate speech because that allows us to do what we want. It's the constant ma manipulation of procedure. Right. Twitter wants to pretend that it has rules and regulations and algorithms and policies that are all very, you know, they make sense. And because, you know, they're they're in place, all the, the bureaucracy, you know, they're none of them are. It's none of it's not their fault. They're they're just following the rules. Right. Yeah. So no one can be held accountable. But what we see, what this lets us peer behind the curtain and see is that actually at every step decisions were being being made exceptions were being made the thumb was being put on the scales all of these policies were yeah. for show and the the truth is that these people were more than willing to work with the federal government and to work with the democratic party and just on their own become soldiers again uh, in a political war against people that they hate all right, next sponsor is a sponsor you know and hopefully love by now, and that is Good Ranchers. Good Ranchers is a great gift for Christmas. It's a practical gift. It is a gift that I would love to get because it's a gift that makes your life easier and there are a ton of other benefits to this that I will tell you about. Good Ranchers ships American meat right to your front door. If you subscribe, you get a box of meat every month to your front door. You go online to goodranchers.com and you pick the meat that you want. They've got better than organic chicken, pre-marinated, non-pre-marinated. They've got seafood, so scallops, shrimp, salmon, all that good stuff. And then they've got craft beef, all different kinds of cuts of steak, and they've got ground beef. We eat Good Ranchers almost every night because we love it so much. Plus, people who own the company, they're Christians. They love America. You can feel really good about this purchase. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use promo code Allie. Uh, when you do, you get $35 off your order. That's promo code Allie at GoodRanchers.com for $35 off. Uh, give the gift of Good Ranchers to someone in your life or just buy it for your family and make your life so much easier and tastier. Go to GoodRanchers.com, promo code Allie. That's American Meat Delivered. GoodRanchers.com, code Allie. And the person who was kind of the head of this is Yul Roth. Mm -hmm. And a lot of his old tweets are resurfacing right now. And he um, has said a few very strange things over the years. Back in 2010, he tweeted, can high school students ever meaningfully consent to sex with their teachers? Apparently, that was something that he wanted to explore. He said, I'm persistently freaked out by the youth-centric direction my research interests are headed in, given I, you know, hate children. He also posted, I guess, what was supposed to be like a humorous tweet saying, do you think that the, um, the staff at the American Airlines Lounge would 
euthanize these loud children next to me if I ask politely, not tranquilize. Like, okay, maybe that would be a joke. He said euthanize the children that were bothering him. He also said something weird. He said, I can't tell if the neighbors uh, next door have a really loud infant or are listening to really loud porn. And then he also posted a posted a tweet about uh, um, how his PhD thesis was about whether or not kids should be on adult sex or hookup apps like Grindr, which is, I guess, a gay hookup, I don't know, app. And uh, it seems from the excerpt that we have that he lands on the side of, yeah, they should have access to that. So this is the health or was the head of uh, trust and safety for Twitter, who is making a lot of these decisions, who is meeting with the FBI. Another component of this that Elon Musk says that he has taken on is the child exploitation that was just rampant on Twitter. You've got employees and previous employees saying we weren't like the people who were supposed to be in charge of taking this down were barely even funded. We would be told that we could take down the material sometimes, but we couldn't ban the accounts. Um, and Elon Musk says that he is you know, he is heading the charge and trying to, to to change that. So I don't know. It's all it's all very strange. I guess just tell me what you think about Yoel Roth and why why there is always like child sex stuff in the center of the corruption in these bureaucratic entities. Tell us why. I mean, it's a it's a really amazing situation. Like you said, you hate to pull like random tweets out of someone's past because who knows what the context is, but there does seem a very odd pattern of behavior here, right? And I think when it comes to like, for instance, the, 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 the PhD thesis that you're talking about, right? I think one of the things, and you have to ask how a guy like this ends up being in charge of this, right? Like how does his previous work qualify him to decide whether or not presidents of the United States should be able to speak on social media? But I think think there's this constant need to be transgressive, right? And one thing that we constantly hear is that, well, people are doing something anyway. And so the, the space has to be, be made safe. And that's his argument in this PhD thesis is like, yeah. well, there's already teenagers on the site, right? Yeah. And so there's nothing we can do for everything, about yes. For abortion, for yeah. any form of immorality. Well, it's already happening. So let's just make it easier and safer. The question is always safe for who? Yeah, well, the, the the thing is, the slippery slope is just the undefeated champion, right? It it it, it was uh, entirely correct. We were all shamed into noticing a pattern that is very prevalent, and told like, well, that's low class, right? That uh, you must be foolish, you must be some crazy eighty southern eighties Bab- southern Baptist grandma. Well, it turns out you're. Your 80s Southern Baptist grandma was absolutely correct, right? No, she was actually incorrect because she underestimated (laughs) things. And I think that's, you know, that's a point that you've made. Even my, you know, 80s Southern Baptist grandma, if I tried to explain to her what a drag queen story hour is, I mean, she wouldn't have believed it. None of us would have believed it five to 10 years ago. I remember when we, it was probably 2012, having a conversation with some of my Christian friends in college and someone bringing up like, because it was looking like, okay, gay marriage is going to be something that is going to be legalized, whatever. And they were bringing up the fall of Rome and the immorality rampant there. And of course, other people were like, what are you talking about? How does this affect you? How is this going to change anything? Again, a gross underestimate. 
Yeah, it, it really is amazing. If you talked to most people, like even like the most hysterical gay marriage opponent back when this was a, a big debate, and you told them, okay, this is going to get passed, or this is not going to get passed, it's going to get handed down top down from the Supreme Court, because that's how changes actually happen. Um, but this is going to get forced down onto the country. And within, you know, 10, 15 years, you're going to have children getting you know, puberty blockers at eight and getting, you know, their bodies completely physically altered at 13 to try to change their gender. I think even the most staunch anti-gay marriage person would have been like, okay, Okay. Right. Like, come on, man. Yeah. Like, really? Like, yeah. The like, Westboro Baptist person would be like, yeah, yeah, calm down. Let, let's not be ridiculous yeah. here. Yeah. Right. Like, but this is exactly where we are. Right. And be, and the reason is that a consent based morality yes. is a disaster. Yes. It's a so social acid that eats through everything yes and and all the safety barriers that people don't the thing about tradition and the thing about taboo is they're there for a reason they're they're social knowledge that has been hard fought and hard won and transmitted down through your tradition and through your religion and through those lessons that are taught to you so that you don't have to relearn them every single time right Mm -hmm. and when we you know this is chesterton's fence Mm -hmm. for people who aren't familiar with gk chesterton you know you don't take the fence down until you understand why it was there in the exactly. first place but we have just been in a fence demolishing spree yeah. you know for a very long time people and every every point people said well the consequences will never catch up with us yeah. but here we are yep and it's named a uh, destigmatizing we need to destigmatize everything because stigma causes shame and shame is always harmful and shame is not always harmful. Sometimes, sometimes it can be, but sometimes it's a useful tool. And we talk about that on this podcast a lot, that consent is not a sufficient standard for morality. And this was back, I think I first started talking about this, some Cardi B something or other, where the argument from the other side is, well, if someone is consenting to, if, if it makes them happy to, twerk naked on a stage or whatever it is, then what's wrong with that? It is a form of empowerment because she is deciding that she wants to do something and she's doing it and she's making money from it. And my point was always, but objectification is still objectification whether you are doing it or not. And I think treating someone or seeing someone or treating yourself and seeing yourself as an object is not just damaging to you as an individual, but to society as a whole. I don't care if she is consenting to that. It's still wrong. But you see how consent based morality is not just leading to all the things that we see, but it absolutely will lead to and has already led to the normalization of pedophilia. Age is a lot more dynamic than gender. And they've already messed with that. They've already said that male and female isn't static. You think that they're not doing that with age as well, that they will eventually finagle their way into saying you know, what does it really matter if consent is there? So anyway, totally agree with you. No, I think the you'll also notice in that example you gave there that it's interesting that the left will, will pivot to free market uh, uh, justifications for a lot of this stuff, right? Yeah. As long as you can... Uh, you can turn this into something that people are making money off of. It's a it's a voluntary transaction that creates some kind of financial interaction. Then it's fine, right? These people who are constantly talking about the dangers of capitalism and the dangers of the free market, all of a sudden they don't seem to care about that very much when it comes to degeneracy that allows people to kind of break down social barriers, right? right? And so we can kind of see that this, this is a consistent feature of 
of the left-wing worldview, we're always going to be moving this direction. It doesn't really matter what ideological tools we need to switch to, what kind of justifications we pivot. And this is where thing, this is where I think sometimes the ideological strictness of conservatives can get caught up, right? Because you'll see a lot of people arguing on the right saying, well, at the end of the day, we're for the free market, right? And if people are going to make these decisions, we can't ban this stuff, right? We're not, we're the party of small government. We can't step in and do this kind of thing. We saw this with Ron DeSantis, right? When he's taking what should be landmark action that every Republican governor should be should be following, right? When he's taking actions to ban the sexualization of children in public schools, ban critical race theory, teaching children that they're evil because they're white, like that should be banned in schools from the top down, taking actions against companies like uh, Disney, where, you know, they're supporting this kind of, uh, you know, degeneracy, they're supporting pushing this ideology on children. And Ron DeSantis says, okay, uh, we're getting rid of your tax breaks. We're getting rid of your special exemptions. Sorry, you're not going to get rich off the backs of taxpayers while you're pushing this kind of st- junk in our state, right? Those are the kinds of things that conservatives need to say, uh, yeah, actually, we're fine with using the power of government to stop this kind of stuff. And we don't need to adhere to some kind of ideology that says that we have to allow corporations to attack children Yeah. because, oh, you know, sorry, we're the small government guys. No. Yeah. And we've seen that it's actually effective. I mean, obviously, he turned a very purple slash maybe light blue state into now a deep red state. So people liked it. People like someone taking the power that's available to them and pushing for something that's good and going against corporations. I think corporations being in bed with the Republican Party has just been so disastrous for the country and certainly disastrous for their constituents. And so I was thankful to see someone stand up against, you know, a Goliath that is Disney. And it's confusing to me why other Republicans don't look at that and say, oh, that actually worked. People like someone fighting the culture war. And instead, they say, you know, I don't want to fight the culture war or I don't want to be divisive. We've got very few people in Washington willing to do that. We had very few people in Washington willing to even, you know, defend marriage when it came to Obergefell a few years ago. Something that I noticed that Republicans do is that even if they are making a defense, very often they will go to like the most fringe part of their defense. So rather than saying, you know, the core of their argument against redefining marriage, which is you can't redefine marriage. You don't have the power to redefine marriage. Marriage is pre-civilizational and it's based on biological complementarianism and Congress can't change that. They go to religious liberty. And so they're already in like really almost like a non sequitur. They're already in like the fringe most part of it. And I think that is also one reason why we lose because we have very few people willing to defend the core of what it is that we believe. Well, I think the truth is that the vast majority of the GOP isn't their constituency, isn't their voters, their constituency is corporations and donors. Mm. I think the the gulf between the donor class in the Republican Party and the will of the voters is very obvious. And I think Trump showed that to everybody, right? Like whether no matter how you feel about what Donald Trump did with the power that he gained, when he stepped in and created the movement that he did, he did it because he stepped in and said things that every person on the right and many people on the left wanted to hear, but that Republicans refused to say, sorry, immigration is done. Like I want my country to be my country and I want my family to be able to be raised. And when I pay taxes, I want people to 
you know, I want those taxes to go to people in my community and I want people to speak the same language and have the same culture and grow up as one nation. Right. Like, and those are things that the GOP has skirted around for a very long time. And Donald Trump just came out and said it. Did he mean every bit of it? Was it the core of his values? Hard to know, right? It feels like a lot of times Donald Trump is saying what people want to hear, but the thing is he didn't have the limitations of a normal politicians, so he's willing to say things that the Republicans actually wanted, right? That GOP yeah. voters really wanted to hear from people. We want you to protect our jobs, and we yeah. don't really care if yeah. this isn't some kind of libertarian think tank you know, uh, dream about how government should run. We want people to stop shipping our, our jobs overseas. Right. And his ability to break through that, I think is what organized the, the, a lot of, you know, and energized a lot of that base, but we already see kind of the GOP trying to pivot away as quickly as possible. We see this with the red wave, right? Uh, Oh, the red wave didn't materialize. So we have to worry about candidate quality. Oh, these, these Trump Republicans, they're just not, they're not a high enough quality, even though Fetterman wins. Right. Right. And and, And and, Joe Biden. (laughs) Exactly. And, and so it's just insane that they're trying to do this, but they know like they need to wrestle control the party away from the actual voters. They, they need to get it back on. It needs to be Jeb Bush's and Mitt Romney's all the way down, right? Really save people who are always going to make those corner case arguments that you're talking about that are destined to lose in the long run, which is why Mitt Romney's voting for this bill now, right? Because at the end of the day, these people are far more worried about donor money and glowing uh, stories from the New York Times than they are about actually fighting for a culture that they believe in. Okay, let me tell y'all about ExpressVPN. This is the VPN that I use to protect my information and internet activity so that hackers can't get into it and see my location and all of my private info. I use ExpressVPN because it works. It doesn't slow any of my devices down. It's really easy to use. All you have to do is download the ExpressVPN app and you can use the same account for up to five different devices. Also a little fun thing to this is that if you use this and then you use like a a streaming service like Netflix or something like that, because ExpressVPN kind of like reroutes your location so you can say you're somewhere else when really you're in another place, you can have access to different kinds of content that you might not be able to have access to in your location. So that's kind of fun. Go to expressvpn.com slash Allie. Protect your identity, your location, your information today. Expressvpn.com slash Allie to get ex- an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Expressvpn.com slash Allie. Okay, let me press into something that you said that I know is going to be deemed controversial by some of the people that you just listed or some of the kind of people. If you haven't been written up by Media Matters, this might be your moment. Um, You want your children to grow up in people who share your culture and your language. Mm -hmm. Tell me why that's important and why why, why is that controversial for some people? I think it's really difficult for people because they have a hard time understanding what America is, right? Is America a set of ideas? Is America actually a group of people? Is America an ideology? And so because of that, it's really difficult for people to understand like what they're fighting for. Because if America is just an ideology, then if someone says they no longer believe in the American ideology, they cease being American. 
I think most people would say no, right? So America has to be something else, right? Now, America has always been a mixture of many different people, right? That's always been the case. A lot, it's a, a nation of people who came and settled a different land. And they sometimes we had different waves that kind of changed and altered certain aspects of America. But I think at this point, we are at such open borders and insane, immig- you know, there is no immigration policy, right? It's whoever gets across is here and they're released into the country. Yeah. We know this. At least for illegal immigrants. I mean, actually someone trying to become a legal immigrant, there's plenty of policy and plenty of hurdles to jump over, which is part of the problem. Yeah. But I mean, but the Democrats say this over and over again. They're not particularly coy about it when they aren't denouncing people. They say demographics are on our side, right? Eventually they're going to be so... great replacement theory. But they say say it constantly, (laughs) right? They They cheer it on on a regular basis. But then they call it a great replacement theory. Of course, right. Yeah. Tucker Carlson is the end of the... Right. But 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 you know Tucker Carlson can also slam the montage up of all these politicians, all these journalists saying eventually we're going to get enough people from other countries in here and they're going to vote for us and you'll never win another you know uh, election again. They they taunt Republicans yeah. constantly with this line. Now what we're seeing yeah. is by leadership by people like DeSantis. Actually, maybe you can. Right. Significantly changed. You, you can flip a place like Miami Dade, yeah. which is was deep blue as, as I'll get out, right. and turn it into something. So maybe there isn't that inevitability. But either way, the American people have a right to decide who's going to be in their country, and they have a right to decide who's going to be in their community. They're the people who fund this stuff. They're the people who live here. They're the people who make this place who they are. And yeah. they have the if 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 popular will means anything, if that's really something and we can talk about whether or not it does, but if it means anything, then I think it has to mean that people have the right to live in the kind of communities that they want. And if they don't, you know, if they don't want home prices driven up, if they don't want to have to teach seven different languages at their school, if they don't want to have to have a giant infrastructure to care for people who broke the law entering the nation and removing those resources from their children and their communities, that's a perfectly reasonable thing to say. Yeah. And it used to be known as something that was perfectly reasonable. And for some reason, we've been gaslit into thinking that it's not. And I think, I mean, we see especially what's gone on in Europe, that there is really no sense of cohesive national identity in a lot of these places that have allowed really a lot of these refugees, if you can even call them that, or a lot of these migrants, not only come in, all right, but also kind of create their own colonies. I mean, talk about colonialism that the left says that they hate, create their own colonies, which can operate in impunity. Like if you're looking at places like the UK, they have a huge problem with a lot of these Middle Eastern uh, immigrants committing disproportionate rates of assault and rape and things like that. And they won't do anything about it. The government won't do anything about it. So it's not that, I mean, they talk about like this rich tapestry or this rich, like, mosaic. All right. I mean, yes, but even a mosaic has glue that holds it together. And if you don't have that, you don't even have the rule of law that holds people together. I mean, what do you have? It's not a mosaic. It's more just, I don't know, just a a mess. It's a mess. It's anarchy. And people don't operate in chaos well. Well, and you see how much progressives actually value diversity because the minute that Ron DeSantis landed some 
immigrants in Martha's Vineyard, all of a sudden the military had them out of there. Oh, yeah. In, inside of 48 hours, right. right? So it turns out diversity is your strength, you know, but 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 not our strength. It's not Martha's not, not, not for, strength not, at not for all. Martha Vineyard. They're, yeah. they're, they, they, they don't really, they don't really hold to that. That's, that's for, that's for the suckers out down in the border states, right? Like, that's the thing. And I, I grew up in Florida, right? Like the, you know, most of my friends, Hispanic admixture of some kind, right? Like we shared a culture in many ways. So it's not that these things can't work, but it's the rate of change over time, right? It's that you cannot bring vast quantities of people into a nation who don't have an education, aren't familiar with the culture, and just drop them into a neighborhood and say, oh, well, now it's your community's responsibility to you know, fund this and, and, and yeah. you know, like that was the big thing for Martha Vineyard said, we're not a border state. We yeah. don't have the money for this. Like yeah. border states get some kind of special dins- dispensation right. to yeah. care for the, you know, hundreds of thousands of people pouring over their borders. They yeah. don't. And they shouldn't have to live this way. Right. Some of my favorite people in my life are immigrants. I love this family so much. And we share a lot that I don't really share with some of the people that I share a country with who are on the other side of the spectrum. We share a faith. We share a language. I mean, they're very hardworking. And so we share a lot of values. And we do share a similar culture in a lot of ways and that we're raising our kids the same way. And so there is a cohesiveness there. There is like a bond there that I, and they're American citizens, that I don't share with a lot of other American citizens. So of course, it's possible to have people from different backgrounds, but you have to have something that supersedes um, that supersedes your skin color, your ethnicity, your country of origin. And we just don't have that. Multiculturalism doesn't even really allow that. I mean, we've specifically gone our way to dissolve it, right? Yeah. Like that, that it's not just that we don't have it. It's that we actively worked to break down that shared culture in kind of the pursuit of this new progressive faith and the people coming in here don't necessarily adhere to the progressive faith the way that other people do but either way the point is that you know again the people in the country now should be able to decide the rate of immigration they should be able to say we want to stop this for a while we want to adjust this right we have a skyrocketing um, home prices where it's almost impossible for families to afford first homes right and importing large amounts of people who are going to make more demands on your housing is only going to make those kinds of things more difficult. We talk about how we want a wage that will allow one earner to earn for their family and allow someone to stay home and raise children so we can have functional families, right? But if you're constantly importing cheap labor, driving down the cost of labor, then they could be the greatest people in the world. You're still actively doing something to harm the people who live here now. Mm -hmm. And you just, I think that's what Donald Trump tapped into. It's okay to say that Americans, wherever they may have come from in the beginning, are now want to be a people who can care about their community and set standards and achieve goals to grow families and provide things for their, uh, you know, for the next generation going forward. And if that means they need to restrict immigration to do that, that's a perfectly reasonable desire for them. I saw a tweet the other day, and I think this person was earnest, that said, I can't think of, or can someone tell me a genuine non-racist reason for someone to want to live in a suburb? So I almost think that the mentality that you're talking about is foreign. I don't even want to say just to people on the left, although I'm sure it's mostly people on the left. This idea that 
you can care about your family first. You can care about your community first. You can care more about your family than other families. You can care more about your neighborhood than you care about other neighborhoods. You can care more and should care more actually about your country than other countries. That it's it's always lumped in with some kind of white supremacy or white nationalism or bigotry. And so I think some people are manipulated into saying, oh no, I care about everyone the exact same, which is actually a lie. No one really does. But why do they think that way? Because when you say that you care about humanity, you don't have to care about your neighbor anymore, Mm. right? If you get to abstract, I care about someone else over there and I don't actually have to bring them into my home. I don't have to feed them. I don't have to give them the coat off my back. Yeah, it's abstract virtue. I, exactly. I, I can I can funnel the money through some some organization, some NGO, some yeah. government somewhere, and probably not even my money, probably someone else's money. Yeah. And I can feel virtuous yeah. for doing that without ever having to care about those people, ever right? Having to get off the couch. But if you want to really build communities, if you really want to build a social fabric that informs you know a, a government that will do better things for the people, you have to care locally. You have to care about the people around you. You have to form communities that can provide the kinds of institutions and the, the, the things that pick people up when they're down and provide people opportunities and care for them in difficult times. Those are the kinds of things that enabled family formation, that enabled small businesses to grow, to do all the things that we as Americans want to think of as kind of core to the American experience. But we've decided to disassemble all of those things in the pursuit of humanity. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm for all humans, which means you're actually for no humans at yeah. all. Okay, let me tell you all about Covenant Eyes. I don't have to tell you if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you know the dangers of pornography. It can ruin your life and it can ruin your relationships and it can certainly ruin your kids' innocence. So we have to do everything possible to protect ourselves and to certainly protect our kids from the dangers of porn. And that is why Covenant Eyes exists. It's a software that you download on all of your devices that blocks these kinds of explicit images and this kind of sexual content. It blocks porn. And it is a great tool in your tool belt, not only to make sure that you're being held accountable, but also that you are protecting the people in your life from the damaging effects of porn. So take action today. Get Covenant Eye software, block porn on your children's devices, model online integrity for your kids by using accountability on your devices as well. Get Covenant Eye's accountability software for free for 30 days by visiting coveyes.com slash Allie. That's coveyes.com slash Allie. Coveyes.com slash Allie. I wish I had more time. I've got nine more minutes. And so rapid fire, a few things that I want to ask you about. Um, Which one first? Okay, first, because you did kind of allude to this and you said we can talk about this. Does the the voice of the people actually mean anything? You don't like democracy. (laughs) I'm not a big fan. Tell me why. So I'm not a big fan of democracy. And and the reason, there's quite a few reasons. One is what most people mean by democracy now is not even approaching the actual like representative republic that the American founders would have talked about, right? The idea that the franchise can just go literally to illegal immigrants at this point, right? We have different cities and states that are saying, oh, well, you should, you know, you should allow completely undocumented people. They live here too, so they deserve a vote, even though they have no actual citizenship, they have obtained none of those rights. So even the kind of, even if you like democracy, the thing we have now is just a complete 
you know, it's, it's a shambles, right? It doesn't even work. But I think also, unfortunately, what a democracy does is it incentivizes the short term, right? Like society is all about delayed gratification. It's about uh, a time, reducing your time preference and putting a value on things down the road. And what democracy does is it incentivizes us to only think to the next election cycle, to only fight for kind of that stuff that's right in front of us. And so politicians say, basically, why not just give everything to my supporters right now? Because who cares what's going to be down the road? I might not be here tomorrow, so I might as well eat everything now, right? And so we see this with, uh, you know, for instance, uh, giving away money to Ukraine while we're having an economic crisis, right? Like these people are just giving money away to their supporters, giving money away to weapons manufacturers, giving money away. And however you feel like Vladimir Putin, bad guy, absolutely. But how is this your problem, right? It's only your problem because it profits people in the American Congress and the American, you know, the American Senate. And so, uh, you know, people are willing to make those short term, um, you know, they're, they're willing to pay off voters. Now vote buying is just always the most effective thing in the short term. Yeah. It's really hard to sell those pro civilizational things to people in the long term. People don't vote for civilization. They assume they take civilization for granted and then they vote for the things that are convenient for them now. Right. Yeah. And that's a constant problem that democracy faces. It's constantly also, there's always power in disassembling. I'm sorry, I'm probably going too long for the things I want to hit, but, but it also, uh, constantly there's always power in disassembling tradition and the current hierarchy mm-hmm. and because there's a, because the people who are out of power want to gain power and so people who are, who are in the representation want to gain power can always de- devolve some part of the hierarchy or promise some part of the pie to people who don't have it if they'll gain their support and so that's one of the reasons that we kind of always see American politics moving to the left because it's always about dismantling the system as it is now so you can provide power and gibbs to people who don't have them currently like those are there's there's a very long case to be made but those would be some of my basic what do you think is the best form of government well that's a that's a difficult thing joseph de maestra is a guy that i like a lot he's a he was a um political theorist in in kind of the late 1700s but one of the things he said is that the governments are the proper government form of government is always going to reflect the character of the people right so it's not that like for instance a representative republic couldn't be the right form of government but it has to reflect the nature of the people and our founding fathers knew this by the way they said specifically the constitution only exists for a moral people, right? It only exists for people who are going to have these religious traditions. And so if you're going to have that type of government, it has to reflect the people as they are now. I think kind of the way we've let you know our civilization slide, I don't think that really maps onto the reality. It doesn't reflect it. I think that we're probably going to see eventually a move to some kind of you know strongman at the end of the day. I think a lot of people will see that because uh, you know, there's, they're not going to have the ability to break through a lot of the things. People are going to mm. look for solutions as things kind of have a problem. But that's not, you know, I'm not yeah. advocating for that. I'm just saying that's, that's a, typically how history goes. It, it, People yes, just we don't see that operate, over and over again. They don't operate in chaos well. People don't like yeah. chaos. People don't like anarchy. Um, part of the reason why libertarianism doesn't work very well, which I know that you could take <laughs> us on a, take us on a, uh, a journey about libertarianism too, but we don't have that much time. All right. Just a couple more things. Uh, you mentioned Vladimir Putin, Brittany Griner. 
What do you think about um, that swap? Was it a fair deal for the merchant of death? It's really interesting because it turns out Vladimir Putin is the most dangerous human being in the world, and he's planning world domination. We have to fight a proxy war through Ukraine to sec- and risk nuclear annihilation in order to keep him from spreading his power. Unless we have like one of our aristocracy over there on like drug charges, and then we can trade him an arms dealer kind of whenever we want to, right? And and that's the thing, you know, that a lot of people have pointed out that the Marine over there who was uh, arrested for, yes, uh, was arrested for uh, possible espionage, that kind of thing. Who knows what, what kind of truth there yeah. is behind that. But, but, you know, it's very obvious that the United States had its priority and it chose, you know, someone who ticked all the right progressive boxes and had yeah. the right politics and had the right social status before it chose somebody who, you know, served their country honorably, so... Yeah. I, my friend was asking me uh, what I thought about this and, you know, I call me nostalgic, but I always think it's good to get American citizens back. And I always wanted her to come back, even though she has kind of made known that she doesn't really appreciate the country in which she lives. And she believes people like her oppressed in the United States. And I still thought, okay, she's an American citizen. We should do everything that we can to get her back as well as all other um, American citizens. However, I also think that it is a bad deal. It's a great deal for Russia. It helps in so many ways. It makes Joe Biden look weak that he would get this kind of person for the kind of person that they wanted, this arms dealer that is responsible for thousands and thousands of deaths around the world, including Americans. And they also, I think, picked a person that they knew was going to stoke the culture war. I mean, they got a black woman on drug charges. And so you're going to have a lot of people on the left say that it's because of racism, that this is the plight of black people around the world. Then you're going to have people on the right and say, oh, you know, she didn't care about America. She didn't stand for the anthem. And so you've got that culture war going on, which is something that Russia, since its Soviet days, has tried to stoke. They have pumped propaganda into the American system to try to create that division. So they accomplished that. They've got Russian media now saying, oh, this poor white heterosexual Marine committed the crime of not being intersectional enough. And that's why he wasn't, you know, taken back. And so they are using this to stoke the flames of division in the United States. And of course, then they get someone who is going to be very helpful to them in this war against Ukraine. And so it's losing on all sides for America. But the Biden administration doesn't see it that way. Let's play uh, that clip from the press secretary. On a personal note, Brittany is more than an athlete, more than an Olympian. She is an important role model and inspiration to millions of Americans, particularly the LGBTQI plus Americans and women of color. She should never have been detained by Russia. All right. So, I mean, they're just they're just saying it. I mean, this is part of why I think she was chosen. This is also, it's not because she's an American citizen. It's not because she's a human being made in the image of God. It's because she takes all of these identity boxes that apparently this is important. And they're saying, you know, it was Griner or no one. That was, you know, the deal that we had. But MSNBC, they wrote a story saying it was Griner, Whalen or no one. And then they changed it without saying that they changed it. And they said, actually, it was either Griner or no one. So I don't even know what was right. I would not be surprised at all if they had the option to get Paul Whalen, but 
they knew that this was going to help with progressive activists getting this person. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, this is something we see constantly, right? This shouldn't be a surprise at all. This is a choice that our leaders make on a very regular basis. They announce it constantly. Having all of these different descriptors puts you to the front of the line. There's a reason I said aristocracy, because that's exactly what it is. It's people who have specific privileges based on innate traits. And that's they're, they're not hesitant to make it very clear from the podium of the White House press room who gets those benefits and who doesn't. Yeah. Okay. Last thing that I meant to ask you during the... Uh, Yul Roth conversation. So a meme that you post a lot is from The Simpsons, and it's the bus driver saying, don't make me tap the sign. Mm -hmm. And then your meme says, it's not, you know, it's not that complicated. I don't have it in front of me. It's not that complicated. They just want to diddle kids. And basically, like, you're talking about all of these real groomers, whether they're in school, whether they're politicians, like Scott Wiener out of California, you were referring to in this tweet, uh, Yul Roth. And so now a lot of people think it's it's deeper than that, that it's not just them wanting to molest children. But your point has been, no, it's basically just because they want to molest children. So break it down for us. <laughs> so it's not that people aren't right that those things exist. It's funny because there's a guy who did a thread on Twitter. like Josh Dawes. Yes. yes. And I'm I'm a big fan of him. Yeah. And I thought that he made a lot of good points, but I did see your. But, but it's funny rebuttal. that actually Josh specifically came back and later said, actually, I agree with you now. Yeah. Like he actually told me and actually yeah. me and him he, and I talked about. He's now. a great guy. He so. is. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and he specifically said, actually, now I see your point. Um, but, yeah. but, but it's all the points he made are correct, right? These are, this is an ideology meant to separate children from the authority of their parents to create an excuse for the state to intervene in the inner workings of families, to create political foot soldiers by separating children from the values of their parents early on so they can be indoctrinated and put under the auspices of the party. All of this is true, right? That's all correct. But also... There is a very real and ugly part of this that no one wants to look at. And I don't blame it. I, this is not what I want to focus on. This is not something if you look at you know, my YouTube channel, the things I've written, I've only done a couple of video, a couple, you know, an article or two on this stuff. But we can't lie about what's happening here. Right. These people are constantly again, that consent based morality. Right. If we can just lower the age of consent. Right. For puberty blockers and for tra- you know, transition surgeries and yeah. for separating yourself from the authority of your parents, then guess what? There's no one around to protect you from what comes next. Yep. Right. And, the, and there are, have been many people in the left that they don't talk about very m- m- much anymore who were core parts of, of their theorists, people like Michel Foucault, who specifically yeah. went out of their way to advocate for the abolition of uh, of of this uh, prohibition, mm-hmm. right? And so um, I don't think this is, I don't think the majority of the people pushing this stuff down have that goal, but I think a, a large percentage do, yeah. or I, sh- I shouldn't say a large percentage, I sh- a certain percentage do. And the grooming tag was so devastating because it was correct. It correctly described what was happening. Even if the people pushing the gender ideology do not have the intention of abusing a child, they are preparing that child for abuse because anybody who's looked into sex trafficking any of this stuff knows the first thing people who want to sex traffic minors do is expose them to sexuality too young 
Mm-hmm. Right. And this is and that's the program. That's what this stuff does is yeah. it pushes this stuff down on kids who are not um, psychologically or emotionally prepared for and should not ever have to be mm-hmm. at this age. And it makes them easier victims for people who are interested in predation. Yep. And they call it comprehensive sex education. And they say they're doing it for the protection of these children. And I've had someone who used to work for Planned Parenthood as a comprehensive sex educator on this podcast. And she basically said, look, we were telling nine-year-olds basically how to have sex and how to engage in sex. They weren't thinking about that before. We were telling ourselves that they're already thinking about it. They're already doing it, kind of like what Yoel Roth argued. Yeah. And... Um, but they weren't. They actually weren't. In a lot of cases, they were looking for ways not to be involved sexually because they felt pressure from outside forces. And so it's just all a big constructed lie to, at the end of the day, make children pray. So I agree with you on that. Man, I could talk to you for a lot longer, but unfortunately, we're out of time. So let's end this and you'll come back on and we'll talk about a lot more things. But let's end this telling everyone where they can find your show, how they can follow you and read your writings and all that good stuff. Absolutely. So I obviously just joined up with The Blaze here. And so I'm writing on a weekly basis for The Blaze. You can see my op-eds there. And then I also now have a podcast with The Blaze. So, you know, if you want to go over there, subscribe on Apple or Spotify or any of those major platforms. Is it the Orrin McIntyre show? Yes, Orrin McIntyre show. And, you know, the the old rate and subscribe and everything. uh, We really appreciate that because getting started, a lot of people have already been excited about it. So it's been really great to to see that support. And then I have my YouTube channel, which is where I kind of got started with all my video essays and all that stuff will be still go up there. I'll still do my live streams and my video essays and everything I do there. And then, uh, you know, uh, there we're we're talking about more here, what be coming next, but those are the main places. And then of course the Twitter account or McIntyre as well. Okay. Awesome. Thanks so much. No, thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it.